This morning, we continue in our series on prayers from the Old Testament. This morning, we are again listening to reading a prayer of King Solomon in the book of 1 Kings. This morning's scripture lesson, like last week, 1 Kings, this prayer of Solomon comes after Solomon and the people finished building the temple, the house of the Lord. Solomon assembles all of the leaders of the people of Israel to have them bring the Ark of the Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple. And after blessing, offering a blessing on the Ark in its new place and celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise regarding the house of the Lord, Solomon stands before the altar of the Lord and before the assembly and offers a prayer. It's a long prayer, and I will be reading the beginning and the end of Solomon's prayers for the people from the eighth chapter of the book of First Kings. I will begin reading at verse 22. Verse 22, hear the word of God. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk with you before you with all their heart, the covenant that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father's, my father David, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, there shall never fail you a successor before me to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your children look to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven, even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Oh, here in heaven, your dwelling place, heed and forgive. And at verse 52. Let your eyes, O Lord, be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, listening to them whenever they call to you. For you have separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, just as you promised through Moses, your servant, when you brought your ancestors out of Egypt, Lord God. Now, when Solomon finished offering all of this prayer and this plea to the Lord, 
He arose from facing the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. He stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. This is the word of the Lord. The 20 or so verses of the prayer between the beginning and the end that I read to you, the 20 or so verses of Solomon's prayer contain his intercessions for the people of Israel. The prayer list includes asking God to reward the righteous. When drought comes, that God would bring rain amid, would bring rain amid, amid, the, amid the country if the people turn back to God. If there is famine and plagues in the land, that God would heal the land if God's people repent. That God would welcome foreigners in the land who come to pray in the house of the Lord and turn to God. Solomon asks for protection for the people in battle and to return them from exile in a foreign land again if they repent and turn to God. The shape of the prayer has an extended if-then format built on God's promise that when the people of God turn to God over and over again, God will restore them. I chose to read to you the beginning and the end of Solomon's prayer for others for a few reasons. From a downright practical standpoint, it's too long to read in worship and it wouldn't be good for your hearing or for my reading. Also, the petitions follow, have that rhetorical theological pattern more easily summarized in the context of God's covenant with God's people. But lastly, and frankly, some of them are hard to read with war raging in the region and so many men, women, and children being killed. Solomon's prayer of intercession for God's people. His prayer was long and perhaps so fervent that he began standing and facing the people in prayer. By the end, he's kneeling before the altar of the Lord, facing the altar. The beginning and the end of Solomon's prayer. It provides insight into the relationship of God and God's people and perhaps some insight into understanding intercessory prayer in our own lives. Here's a little pastor's secret for you. A little secret from your worship leaders. For those of us who lead worship on a regular basis, whose tasks include preaching, praying, reading scripture, welcoming, passing on information about church life, the hardest part week in and week out in preparation is not writing a sermon. The most challenging part, hands down, is crafting the prayers of the people. Am I right? The hardest part, week in and week out, is crafting the prayers of the people. When it comes to preaching, at some level, most listeners acknowledge that a sermon represents one person's thought and effort. Hopefully guided, informed, inspired by prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God. Praying the pastoral prayer, 
on behalf of everyone is more of a priestly role. Petitioning God on your behalf. The prayer is your prayer. Our prayer language is your language. Our words, your words. So form and content and word choice is of the utmost importance. Cumulatively over the years, I've had as many folks or more express concern about our prayers than about a particular sermon at any given time. There are some Sunday mornings when some of us leading the prayer long for to be a part of a more liturgical tradition where such prayers are just lifted out of a prayer book. In our tradition, the great prayer of thanksgiving at the Lord's Supper tends to be the only time in the rhythm of our Sabbath life that our prayer comes from a book, the Book of Common Worship. There are some weeks, like these weeks right now, when it takes much longer to write the prayer than write the sermon. And every Sunday, the one leading the prayer has to find the balance between praying a list that is never long enough and can sound a bit like a checklist and asking God to guide and empower a congregation's life of discipleship as God engages God's people as part of God's answer to prayer in the world. Prayer, and especially intercessory prayer, rests so very deep within our hearts, so very core to our relationship with God, and according to the witness of Scripture, our prayer rests deep within the very heart of God. Near the end of his prayer for the people, Solomon prays this. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and the plea of your people Israel, listening to them whenever they call you. Let your eyes be open to the plea. Not let your eyes see. Let your eyes here. Let your eyes hear and let your ears see. A jarring combination, sort of like last week's prayer from Solomon when Solomon asks for a discerning heart, a wise heart, not a wise mind. Let your eyes be open to the plea, O Lord. A striking turn of phrase, perhaps a minor anthropomorphic poetic move, but a move full of promise. Because before God's eyes are open to our plea, God's eyes are open to God's world. We believe that God sees before we ask. God sees the world for which we beg. God sees the war and the suffering we lament. God sees the hungry and the unhoused and the poor we lift up. God sees the lack of justice that sparks our voice. God sees the loved one for whom we pray endlessly. God sees the dying friend we grieve. God sees the newborn we celebrate. God sees the bounty for which we give thanks. 
God sees the reconciliation we ask for again and again and again. God's eyes open to our plea. God sees before we ask. No, the promise doesn't guarantee all prayers answered. The promise doesn't address all the questions about the omnipotence of God and the reality of a world so far from what God intends. The promise doesn't render intercessory prayer meaningless. A prayer for others nurtures our faith and our relationship to God. It is God inviting us into an alignment with God's own yearning for the world and for new life. The new life God offers. The new life God is creating. God inviting us into relationship and a deepening faith. Professor Don Jewell taught New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary for many years and he worshiped here at Nassau Church for the years prior to his death. Dr. Jewell once preached a sermon to a chapel full of seminarians on Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and whither I go from your spirit. Whither can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? When it comes to our lives and the world we live in, Jewell proclaimed, such things are not unknown to God. God watches, and not from a distance. Does it not make you uneasy to think there is someone who knows you so well? I hope so, he said in the sermon. For in that shutter, there is an acknowledgement of God's real presence and also a sign that faith is still alive. Or to put it another way, when it comes to our lives, and our life in the world, God sees before we ask. Our asking is an acknowledgement of God's real presence and a sign that faith is still alive. Let your eyes be open to our plea. Perhaps a foreshadowing or an affirmation of the Apostle Paul's writing about the Spirit's role in prayer in the letter of Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes, sighs, groans far beyond words because God sees our heart and God sees the world before we ask. And if the Holy Spirit nurtures the divine mysterious relationship of the Trinity through intercessory prayer, so should we nurture our relationship with God and with one another through intercessory prayer. The Episcopal preacher Barbara Brown Taylor tells the story of her granddaughter in a sermon about the parable Jesus tells about the unjust judge and the persistent widow who just kept knocking. They were celebrating her, the title of the sermon is Bothering God. They were celebrating her daughter's seventh, granddaughter's seventh birthday with cake, candles, song, 
Little girl blew out the candles so fast that someone in the family said, aren't you going to make a wish? And she said, I don't know why I keep doing this wishing thing. Last year, I wished my best friend wouldn't move away, but she did. This year, I want to wish that my mommy and daddy will get back together. And her mother jumped in to say, that's not going to happen. Don't waste a wish on that. So why do I keep doing this, she asked. Taylor points out in the sermon that a wish is not the same thing as prayer. But she goes on to paint a meaningful picture of that persistent widow who demanded justice day after day after day, saying it to the judge day after day was in the preacher's words how she remembered who she was. It was how she remembered the shape of her heart. The very end of the sermon, Barbara Brown Taylor offers what we will say, what she would say to her granddaughter when the granddaughter inevitably asks her priest grandmother if prayer really works. Oh, sweetie, of course it does. It keeps our hearts chasing after God's heart. It's how we bother God, and it's how God bothers us back. And there's nothing that works better than that. God's eyes open to our plea. As we come to the table this morning, on this Sunday closest to all saints' day, I find myself pondering Jesus' intercessory prayer in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the section of the Gospel tradition labels Jesus' last discourse. Jesus offers a long prayer for those followers God has entrusted to him. Jesus prays for them and for those who will believe in me through their word. It's more than a promise. It's a breathtaking, life-sustaining comfort, really. To remember, not just at the table, but every morning and every evening, to remember when you are praying for the world and for others. To remember that Jesus, the Savior of the whole world, Jesus never stops praying for you. Come to the table. The one who prays for you invites you Come and feast on God's grace. For God's grace opens God's eyes to hear your prayer. Amen.